electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Stocks are mixed as we head toward the close. Up and down session here on Wall Street following the market's best month since 2020. The most important hour of trading starts now. Welcome, everyone, to Closing Bell. I'm Sarah Eisen. Take a look at where we stand in the market. S&P 500 feels like it wants to go positive. I know we're making a little push right now. The Nasdaq is positive right now, although you can say a little indecisive trading in terms of the overall indexes. We, we, we got higher earlier in the session after the release of some economic data, manufacturing numbers came in a little bit better, still showed some softening, especially in new orders. But prices paid for manufacturing came down sharply, perhaps a sign that inflation is really starting to come down here. Look at the S&P 500 sector heat map. It tells the story. It's a split market. You're seeing strength in groups like consumer staples, consumer discretionary and industrials all higher today. What's not working? Energy. It's down 2% as oil prices slide on some weaker China data. Financials are weak today, down about a percent on the back of falling treasury yields. Materials, real estate, healthcare, communication services, utilities, and technology just turned red. It had been green a moment ago. Coming up on the show, how much more upside is there in this market after the big rally in July? We'll ask the CIO of Public Investments at Goldman Sachs Asset Management what he is suggesting clients do next. Plus, we'll talk to the CEO of insurance company Lemonade, which just closed its deal to buy car insurer Metro Mile. The stock is jumping today, but it is down sharply on the year. Let's get straight to the market and the question on everybody's minds, is the July strength going to last? Joining us now is Kyle Bass from Heyman Capital Management. Kyle, always good to have you. Welcome back. Great to see you, Sarah. So what do you think? Are you a buyer? Um, I think that we're still going to see a little bit more tightening. We're still pulling, what, $100 billion of risk capital out of the market each month. The Fed, uh, in their language, uh, is saying they're going to tighten some more. As you know, the, the yield curve's inverted. The twos, tens are inverted by about 30 basis points. I believe we'll be cutting uh, by this time next year. Uh, so I'm not sure we put the bottom in, Sarah, but I think that uh, as we get closer to the midterms, uh, that's probably the right time to buy. Because that has been part of the bullish thesis that we that the Fed will be cutting next year. And the market has started pricing that in the pivot, the sounding less hawkish at the last Fed meeting, even though Fed officials have come out since then and sort of walked it back. Doesn't seem like the market believes them. Yeah, I mean, um, it's it's hard when you we've never printed the amount of money we printed. Right. We put 40 percent more broad money in the system in 18 months. That's never happened before. And when you look at the construct of the CPI and what what. Uh, the media and the Fed reports to the population about inflation, the year-over-year number, what is it now, Sarah, 9% June over June? 9.1, yeah. But, 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 you know, you look at the components and uh, the owner's equivalent rent. So when you think about the rent or the mortgage that you pay uh, or the housing price you have to pay to uh, be a a housing buyer, um, right now that year-over-year number is up 5%. Uh, you know, I, I beg you to find me someone whose rent is only up 5%. When you look at apartment rents, they're up 18% year over year. And they were up 18% the year before. So our price level has moved up about 40% because we put 40% more money in the system. And for us to get a deflationary print, 
given the the level of restriction that the Fed has imposed on financial markets, we're going to get a print that's a deflationary print. But you have to remember, since the Fed was founded back in 1913, there have been seven disinflationary periods, and all seven have had recessions. So we're, we're already in a recession. You'll just see the lagging indicators will catch up here pretty soon. So it sounds like so you, so you just see more extremes. They're going to have to do more to fight inflation and then more on the other side when, when they go too far in the inflation side. And therefore, you're waiting to buy. Is that, is that the yeah. summary? Yeah, they, they went way overboard uh, with, the, with the monetary expansion. And, you know, I'm a believer that you're not going to see the Fed take $1 trillion off the balance sheet. I think we're going to have a permanent $7 trillion plus balance sheet at the Fed. Uh, and before they have to reverse and say, you know what, maybe that was a bad idea and we're going to have to start expanding the balance sheet again because uh, I think they're going to induce a very quick, very sharp uh, recession. And, and it's good. that's what's going to force them to, to start cutting again a year from now. Where do you so where do you see evidence of a very quick, very sharp recession? Because, you know, the earnings weren't all that bad. There was a lot of fear, especially around big tech and, and and in general, companies are still managing to eke out profits, doing better than expected, holding up a little bit better. There was a lot of demand pulled forward from the, from COVID into some of the services side of the economy, Kyle. But no evidence of something sharp in terms of recession, if that's what we're looking at. Yeah, I mean, be careful with the word "no evidence," Sarah. I think if you if you really look at if if you look at the most recent report, uh, real business investment in both call it structures and equipment dropped faster than it dropped as we went into the COVID scare and, and disaster in early 2020. So the, the leading indicators are telling you that this kind of gap is happening. Uh, you know, when you look at employment, it's typical for uh, employment to continue to, to actually grow or, or get better for a few months going into a recession because it's such a lagging indicator. So you're seeing the number of job postings or job openings drop pretty, pretty substantially month over month, and you're starting to see real business investment literally collapse in, in CapEx. So it's just going to take a little while to show, but it's it's clear. I know the National Bureau of Economic Research hasn't declared a recession, and uh, the administration wants to redefine it. But uh, when you have two consecutive quarters of negative growth, it's pretty much a recession. Well, the, uh, the leading indicator on jobs, though, is jobless claims. And yes, we've started to see it move up, to multi-month highs, but but it's still historically pretty low. I, I'm, I'm looking at payroll employment. Uh, it's continuing to increase, but that typically increases going into a recession. Um, you know, uh, when I when I went and met with the various Fed members back in 2006, going into the, the global financial crisis, um, I heard the same arguments. I heard from the Fed people that I met with, um, you know, we look at, at jobs and, and real incomes, and those things move in tandem. And we don't see a jobs decline. Therefore, we don't see a global financial crisis or a severe recession coming. And you can't look to that as being your, your leading indicator. You have to understand the way the economy is actually operating. And um, it seems to me that if you look at CapEx and you look at real business investment in these kind of uh, things that you would need to see the economy keep growing, it just gapped down faster than it did in the first quarter of COVID. So I, I think it's worth paying attention to. Mm -hmm. No, and, and back then, and that, that's, that's how you made your name and, and a lot of money, Kyle. You were betting against the housing market at that time. What, what are you doing now? Yeah, so I, I think um, the pattern is set at the central banks, meaning, again, I've, I mentioned I think we're going to be cutting uh, by the end of next year. Um, I think you need to be picking your spots and starting to buy 
And, you know, what we're buying at our firm is we're actually buying, um, uh, you know, land and real assets within certain radiuses of major metropolitan areas in front of population uh, migrations from, say, call it the Northeast and the West Coast. But basically, you can buy, let's say, great U.S. businesses, U.S.-centric businesses that are dollar-focused that um, will endure the test of time at the valuations that you think are worthwhile, meaning uh, between now and November, I I'm not suggesting be short. Um, what, I'm ex what I'm suggesting is pick your spots on where to be long because one, two, three years from now, the Fed's going to be in another cutting cycle. And when you think about in a typical recession, uh, the Fed has to cut rates 400, 500 basis points. And Sarah, we're not going to have the Fed funds rate high enough to cut four or 500. So you're going to see uh, monetary policy uh, kind of hit its limits and you're going to have to see uh, new things happening in the next in the next uh, call it round uh, headed below zero. So I, I just believe the pattern is set. And uh, while we might see more and more inflation, the markets aren't going to allow uh, rates to go higher. And, that, and that's maybe where I differ from many of the participants. Hmm. Well, we've seen central bankers get creative before. And, and then, Kyle, there's the geopolitical risk, which which certainly we've, we've seen some reaction today. I know you're, you're, you're very hawkish on China, and, and I assume you, you believe that the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, should, should be going to Taiwan, which all indications at this point is that she will, and China's been making a lot of noise about it. What, what do you expect to happen as far as investment risk here and economic risk if we continue to see this escalation? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. You know, um, a, a lot of asset managers lost a lot of money investing in Russia because things were quote unquote cheap and the banks and the, and the energy companies there were worth investing in and taking that risk. And uh, the day that Putin decided to uh, invade and commit war crimes in Ukraine, they lost all their money. In China, uh, you've got another story. You have such an enormous amount of capital invested in China. Uh, so I think in this scenario, we've seen the frictions boil and, and, and get greater and greater over time here. And, and look, I applaud the speaker. The speaker has taken a stance against, uh, let's say, human rights abuses and communism for a very long time. And that's difficult to do in the district that she's in, uh, in California, given her constituency, but she's done it. She did it on the back end of Tiananmen Square's massacre in China back in 1989. Uh, and she's doing it again here towards the end of her career uh, with Taiwan. I think it's important, Sarah, to note that uh, if you listen to Xi's speech uh, from last summer, uh, he said it is his life's mission to, quote, uh, bring about the rejuvenation of the uh, great Chinese race, which is another way of saying they are going to annex Taiwan. And that is Xi's life mission, which he said he would be an ab abject failure if he didn't accomplish. So they are going to attack and invade Taiwan, whether Speaker Pelosi lands there or not. That China has a is China's playbook, just like Putin's playbook. If you remember, he gave the, the rationale for his invasion of Ukraine, that the Ukrainians uh, basically made him invade and, and do what he did. Uh, they, they, their, their playbook is to blame uh, the victim. And I think that's what we're seeing happen uh, with the Chinese and their belligerence, militaristic belligerence towards Pelosi's visit of another uh, thriving democracy. How, how do you, as an investor, even begin to comprehend what that looks like? It's not it's not Russia, where it's you know not the second most important economy in the entire world. So uh, look, uh, there's never been a, a case in the world's history where the second biggest economy in the world has a closed capital account, 
um, has a firewall that disallows any real news from getting in. And hell, even here on CNBC, when I talk China, you know what happens, Sarah. The MSS guys in your office in Beijing actually cut the feed uh, and it turns into the rainbow screen. And uh, I think the viewers need to know that uh, when any truth about China is being spoken, China doesn't want to hear it uh, and the censors cut it off. And so when I think about what would happen in this scenario, a lot of these institutions that have seen all of the writing on the wall, but they've had a fear of missing out. They've had such severe FOMO that they've plowed so much private equity and so much public capital into, quote, the world's second largest economy. When you think about, look at the, look at the Shanghai Composite Index, Sarah, over a 10-year period, it might have annualized a 1% return annually. And the S&P in the US where we have the rule of law uh, and we have the, mo the, the best innovators in the world uh, has annualized prior to this drop uh, this year about 14% a year. So you're not even being compensated for taking that Chinese risk. And here we are now with someone that's a genocidal dictator um, warmongering uh, and even having his mouthpieces, uh, the Global Times and others say that they may shoot down jets uh, if they escort Pelosi in. And yet, again, that chasm between the investment world of Wall Street, they can't wait to make another dime on China and the real world. Uh, and whether you look at director of national intelligence or even the Biden administration's uh, uh, National Security Council, China is our biggest threat. And yet we continue to plow money in it into it like uh, we can't wait to, to have better returns. So it just doesn't make sense to me all around. And I think those that are doing so are going to pay the price with their jobs when something negative happens. It only takes one bad event for this to precipitate a pretty a calamitous fall. Right, you've been warning of that for a while, Kyle. Thank you very much for joining us. As always. Thank you, Sarah. Kyle Bath. And by the way, as Kyle mentioned, it's up to the NBER to determine the recession. Tomorrow on this show, we will talk to the CEO, James Paterba, who leads that organization, the National Bureau of Economic Research, go through his checklist on what actually makes a recession. Sort of up for debate right now. Up next, insurance upstart Lemonade. Got a pop early in the pandemic. It's been on a downward slope ever since, though. Gaining some ground today. We'll talk to the company CEO about the stock's performance and the closing of its new acquisition of car insurer Metro Mile. You're watching Closing Bell on CNBC. We have turned higher here on the Dow, up 17. A few attempts earlier today. We'll see if it sticks into the close. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash find your rich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
Check out today's stealth mover. It's Jeldwen. Shares of the door and window maker plunging after missing profit expectations and cutting its full year guidance due to weakening demand and also higher costs from raw materials. Freight costs as well and labor also hurting. The stock's down 13 percent. Shares of Lemonade getting a pop today. The move coming after the company acquired Metro Mile. It's a pay per mile car insurance company. Shares may be up today, but year to date, they are still down nearly 50 percent. Joining us now in a closing bell exclusive is Lemonade CEO Daniel Schreiber. Welcome back, Daniel. Good to see you. Great to be with you. So why, why now? Why is now the time to double down on auto insurance when the auto industry is facing some real challenges with supply chain and inflation and potentially softening demand? Yeah, there may be softening demand for the larger players, but actually from where we're standing, we see unlimited total available market. This is a quarter of a trillion dollar market in the U.S. alone, and we have none of it. So for us, already having homeowners insurance and renters and pet, we're getting customers banging on our doors asking to bundle it with car insurance. We have tremendous pent-up demand. Our customers today spend over a billion dollars on car insurance. They just couldn't spend it with us. So for us, there's a huge unlock of value that we've been working on for quite a while. Piper Sandler expressing a little bit of skepticism on the deal, saying that that as a standalone company, they, they were challenged, the company you're buying, several headwinds. And in particular, pay-per-mile pricing remains inherently challenged, according to the analysts, with elevated driving patterns coming out of COVID and consumers churning to traditional policies. How do you respond? Yeah, we didn't buy Metro Mile as a going concern. We really bought it for some of its core assets. We launched six months ago our own car insurance, Lemonade Car. And Lemonade Car is, I think, the most customer-friendly, loved insurance product out there. But newcomers into this highly competitive market are disadvantaged. We're pre-scale, and without scale, it's tough to succeed in this industry. And we don't have our own data. And data really is what this entire industry thrives on. Metromile had exactly those things. They had perhaps the best, most nuanced and highest quality, most textured data of any kind insurer out there. For 10 years, they've had highly, really intricate sensors, highly sensitive sensors driving around billions of miles of Americans driving around over half a billion road trips. And that data is tremendous. They have really world-class data scientists have been working for years to distill those into models that can predict claims per mile driven at a level of precision that the rest of the industry really wishes they had. So for us, it's about bringing those two together, already having some of the best tech, best branding, best product from a consumer perspective, marrying that with the best data science, best data archives that are out there. That should allow us to leapfrog a lot of the competitive dynamics out there and move from being a disadvantaged newcomer to being really, really being a player with a competitive advantage that should endure. So, Daniel, you're still talking about growth, you're a growth company, all the runway that's ahead of you as, as a newcomer. You know, the stock has had a really rough ride. This was a stock that was, what, 160 or so at the beginning of last year. It's now down to the 20s or so. How, have you had to refocus the attention on profitability, on cutting costs? How has it changed what you're trying to do there? So yes and no. Clearly when the entire stock market, let alone growth stocks have been hit more or less in proportion to what we were hit, it's hard to take it personally. So these are greater forces than our company. These are not reflections of performance of the company. The company has been public for nine quarters. 
and has hit or exceeded expectations each time. So we've really been focused on doing what we said we were going to do and in large measure have been able to do that. The stock in due course will reflect that. That said, costs of capital aren't driven by stock price. So as our, stock of, as our cost of capital increases, we definitely want to marshal our resources to make sure that they um, last the distance and enable us to keep doing what we're doing. Notwithstanding that, we are seeing something like 70% growth this year and peak losses. So we are seeing ourselves at the point of turning that corner towards profitability. Within a few months, we'll start seeing declining losses all the way through to profitability, all the while seeing robust growth because this is an industry where scale matters and you have to keep growing if you want to be successful in the insurance space. So profitability with, within quarters, is that what you're saying? I'm saying that within quarters, we are turning towards increasing profitability. So you'll see our losses peak this year and every successive year, we will be on a downward slope in terms of profitability, of, of losses towards profitability. Mm -hmm. We do still have a billion dollars in the bank. We are well capitalized and should be able to manage that process reasonably well. Got it. That, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of commentary investors want to hear right now. Daniel, thank you. Thank Daniel you, Daniel Schreiber of Lemonade. Let's give you a check of where we are here on the markets. Dow has been flip-flopping, positive, negative, pretty much unchanged right now. S&P's lost a third of a percent because it is a tale of a various sectors. Staples, discretionary, and industrials remain strong. Energy, though, dragging on the market along with banks, materials, Real estate, all, all of those sectors are almost down a full percent. Coming up, Mike Santoli is back. And for his dashboard today, he's going to take a look at the big swings, specifically in the energy market. Energy stocks down 2%. And then later, we'll talk about Boeing's boost with an analyst who sees much more upside ahead. That stock's surging 6%. It is the biggest contributor on the plus side right now to the Dow. Chevron is the biggest drag. Actually, now we've got UNH as the biggest drag. United Healthcare. Chevron is down there, too. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. It is time for today's Market Dashboard, and welcome back to Mike Santoli. You missed quite the rally. A lot week. going on, Sarah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Glad to be back here with you where I belong. Yeah, well, here's what the market looks like. I mean, since I've been gone for a little over a week, a big exhale got the market a little bit higher and actually cleared some hurdles. This has been the downtrend since April. We've gotten above that. It's around 100-day average. So a lot of these technical targets uh, starting to do some work in that direction. Now, 
Right above it, people are talking about how really 4,200 and change might be where you have to get to. That's halfway back from the total decline from January down to the recent lows. So obviously haven't proven anything yet, but I think pretty constructive, at least on a short-term basis. Still, bear market rallies can easily be as big as 12 13%. Take a look at uh, wholesale gasoline prices relative to the S&P 500. You know, you don't want to overstate the role of gasoline, but you also don't want to overthink what the markets have been up to. Gasoline means persistence of inflation, and the Fed is targeted it directly. So here's since the invasion of Ukraine, obviously the big spike higher. Stocks have a little bit of a trouble with that. Then when they really got momentum, that's how stocks got down into their lows into June. And you see, obviously, the inverse move since then. It's not the only thing that matters, but it seems, Sarah, that it really does encapsulate a lot of things that we're worried about, which is resiliency of the consumer and how far the Fed's going to have to go to choke off inflation. Market likes low gas prices. So far, yeah. Who doesn't? That's right. Mike, thank you. We'll see you in the market zone. Up next, we'll discuss whether the market is starting to get ahead of the Fed, though, when we are joined by Goldman Sachs Asset Management CIO, Public Investing. Next. It has been a seesaw session after a strong July. S&P rose 9%, where the Fed hiked rates by another 75 basis points. Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari warning in a New York Times interview that markets have gotten ahead of themselves, anticipating that the Fed is near the end of its hiking cycle. Joining us now is Goldman Sachs Asset Management Public Investing CIO, Ashish Shah. Welcome, Ashish. It's nice to see you. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Wanted to actually start with the action in bonds today because the 10-year yield is below 260. And, and this is sort of your background, your expertise in fixed income. We're seeing a, a greater inversion of the curve. What, what is the message right now from the bond market? Look, I think the bond market is telling you that we're seeing slowing growth and decelerating inflation in the marketplace. And so, you know, the market believes that the market, that the Fed is priced in getting tight, but knows that that tightness is going to actually slow the economy and down the line that we're above the neutral rate. And so I think what we have to gauge is what are the types of returns that we can get by buying bonds where easing is priced in. You know, I'd much rather be buying those higher yields. We were almost 100 basis points higher um, about a month ago. And now the risk return is looking a little bit uh, less good out the curve. But do you think we've seen the highs for bond yields this cycle? I think we've probably seen the highs out the out the curve. But in the near term, you know, we, we certainly could see more hiking. And in fact, I'd expect more hiking from the Fed mm. as they go from neutral to tight. So do, you, so do you think the market overall, stocks, bonds, have got, has gotten ahead of itself when it comes to a Fed pivot and potentially easing next year? Look, I, I don't think the market has to have gotten ahead of itself here. I think that uh, the market's acknowledging the fact that um, they do have risk priced in, um, further hikes priced in, over 80 basis points of hikes priced in from here to the end of the year. Um, and you know, equity markets have rallied as a function of simply having less uncertainty. You know, we were talking about four or five percent um, interest rates. There are uh, folks that were talking about inflation that was out of control. I think what we're finding is that the Fed is being effective in its board guidance and its hiking cycle. And so that's part of the reason why markets have rallied back in. You know, have we gotten a little bit overdone in the near term based on technicals? Probably. Um, but I, I think that kind of just reducing the amount of volatility has been constructive for both bonds and stocks in the near term. So what? So what is the signal for beyond just the very near term and the technical move that we've seen, what, what is the signal 
four stocks that you're getting right now as it relates to this question about recession and, and the Fed cycle and everything like that? Yeah, so t- take a look at you know what's happening today. You have the cyclicals or deep cyclicals getting hit. Um, that's partly as a function of the weak data that we got over the weekend. And I think you know as we go forward, the the real question is going to be: Can we? keep from going into a deep recession or bounce out of a really shallow recession? Or are we going to see follow-on shocks that really limit the growth of the global economy? And I think the, the, the bottom line is no one knows this, right? Like No one can actually forecast. But we've priced in some good risks into markets. And I, I think that you can earn some good income given how rates have gotten how high rates have gotten in the near term and how much risk premium are priced into equity. So we're definitely seeing good opportunities across equity, credit, and and frankly, even bonds. All you have to do is not sit in a bank account that's earning zero because there are cash. plenty of those out there. Cash Wait, where's is the trash. Best? <laughs> where's the cash flow is key, I know you'll, you think. Um, so Ashish, where, where is the best entry point in terms of equities? What, what types of sectors or types of stocks? Yeah, so the the things that we think are kind of really interesting here, you know, um, I, I kind of point to the growth space, which has really gone gone through a lot of consolidation. I think a lot of folks are hiding um, in kind of the bellwether names, the largest uh, caps in in uh, growth equities, and I think that maybe a little bit too much has been priced in on the back of strong earnings. So where we see opportunity is in uh, the software sector, where we think there's just a secular trend of software eating the world, and where mid-caps represent good value to capture real growth. We also see a lot of value in biotech, where you know they have very robust research pipelines, and you know at the end of the day, a ton of cash that they're sitting on. Granted, they're burning it to do that research, but we think that there's going to be a lot of M&A in that space going forward, and it represents a real opportunity for active management. People have been waiting for that biotech M&A for a while. Ashisha, we kind of leave it there. Thank you for joining us. Goldman Sachs Asset Management, CIA. Here's where we stand right now overall in the markets, down 14 on the Dow. As she said, it is some of the cyclical parts of the market that are under pressure. That's energy, financials, materials. Although consumer discretionary is having a good day, but the top of the market, you've got staples. Industrials are also a little bit higher. Shares of energy drink, Celsius heating up on news. Pepsi is taking a stake in the company. That has Wall Street buzzing. We'll share the details when Closing Bell comes right back. What is Wall Street buzzing about today? A jolt for Celsius, the energy drinks company, not the bankrupt crypto lender. PepsiCo announcing it is investing $550 million for an 8.5% stake and a long-term distribution deal. With Celsius, it's a very fast-growing energy drink that bills itself as a healthier, cleaner alternative, has ginger and green tea and vitamins. Its share has been growing fast. Take a look. Thank you to Beverage Digest for putting this together. Celsius has about a 3% share. Monster and Red Bull dominate the energy drinks business. But as you can see, Celsius has been growing quickly. And this deal, according to J.P. Morgan, would likely boost its distribution at convenience stores and gas stations, which represent about 70% of the energy drink demand. For Pepsi, it's a chance to compete harder in energy drinks and comes at a time when its deal to distribute Bang, another competitor, is over. Remember, the leader, Monster, is distributed by Coca-Cola, which has a nearly 17% stake. Red Bull is independent. And the other top players, Bang, Celsius, and Rockstar, which was bought by Pepsi for nearly $4 billion back in 2020. 
Monsters lower a little bit today, probably on worries that it could lose share to the now stronger Celsius. But the bottom line, the energy drinks category is still super hot, and Coke and Pepsi continue to pour money into these faster-growing upstarts who are starting to take real share in this market. The next step would be an outright acquisition something the market has been speculating about for the last decade since Coke first put in that stake in Monster. Monster's market cap over that time has tripled. Boeing shares are rallying after taking a big step toward resuming Dreamliner deliveries in the next few weeks. Up next, we'll discuss whether the stock has more upside from here, that story, plus more big tech hiring concerns. And rough seas today for Royal Caribbean. When we take you inside the market zone, the Dow is down one point. We've been as low as down 200 and up as high as more than 140. We'll be right back. We are now in the closing bell market zone. CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli here, as always, to break down these crucial moments of the trading day. Plus, we've got Steve Kovac on big tech spending and Jeffrey's Sheila Kayalu on Boeing. Big run today. We'll start off with the broader market right now. Mike, indecisive after a very strong month where the S&P gained 9%. We're sort of wavering. You've got strength in, in some of the tech names like NVIDIA, Amazon, AMD, Microsoft, Apple, Google, all weaker. So, so you can see the split. Last, last few weeks, it's been sort of more monolithic in terms of NASDAQ outperformance. Yeah, in general, at the index level, just kind of pausing uh, to look around. First day of a new month. You know, the, the worst first half in 50 years, which is what we had through June, gives way to this very oversold rally. It makes sense that we are where we are. Definitely a tone across the markets of some concerns still building in about the pace of growth. You can see it in the bond market. You can see it in the, the Treasury yield curves inverting the way they are. But it's also happening in a way where financial conditions are kind of loosening along the way because corporate credit is holding up. So that's the macro side of it. On the micro side, no big earnings yet today, really. Uh, but in general, this uh, I, I guess this sort of sigh of relief that, in fact, companies are able to beat uh, lowered expectations. That's okay for now. We'll see if that can carry us uh, further from here now that the S&P is back, uh, you know, above 17 times earnings again. So really not cheap, at least at that, uh, from that perspective. Well, so that, that is the bear case, right? That it's not, that the market has not gotten cheap. Yeah. And that earnings expectations really have not come down enough. So where, so where does that where does the where does the price stack up relative to history, relative to bear markets and recessions? It's look, I think we're in the zone of fair value at the S&P level. And so you'd probably consider uh, investors to have gotten off relatively easy if all you do is migrate from expensive back to fair value. That being said, it's still the very large mega cap growth stocks that are holding up the valuation, the P.E. If you look at the equal weighted, it's like 14 times earnings. The typical stock has come down a lot more in valuation. I'm fully on board with the idea that if we get a true all-out recession that comes along with a 10 or 20 percent decline in S&P profits, it's not priced in. But I also don't think the market should rush to price that scenario in before we know that that's what we have waiting for us. Let's hit big tech because Alphabet is the latest company to weigh in on spending concerns. CEO Sundar Pichai telling employees last week they need to improve efficiency and focus during this uncertain economic period. That's according to attendees of that all-hands meeting and internal documents that were viewed by CNBC. Executives also say they're not ruling out, lay ruling out layoffs, although none are currently planned. Steve Kovac joins us. Steve, how does, how does this message from Google compare to what we're hearing about hiring and spending from some of the other big tech companies? Yes, yeah, Sarah, it's very similar. In fact, uh, just a few weeks ago, Mark Zuckerberg told Meta employees 
uh, not so many words, but effectively the same thing, which is, hey, we all got to buckle down here. We're heading into a really tough environment and we need to see productivity go up. And there's just kind of subtext throughout all of this that if you're not willing to do that, you better get out now before the layoffs hit. So you can kind of see this, Sarah, as preparing these staffs for um, any kind of uh, future job cuts. Uh, On the Apple side, I asked Tim Cook about this uh, just uh, during their earnings report last week, and he wouldn't really say they're slowing down or laying off. He just said they're going to be, quote, deliberate about hiring. And then all these CEOs have been talking about uh, what they're seeing through the end of the year, foreign exchange headwinds expected to be a huge pain, especially for Microsoft and Apple uh, through at least until next year. And then we're seeing uh, other headwinds ahead, just like uh, lower ad spending, which is really hurting Meta and um, LinkedIn uh, side of Microsoft as well, Sarah. So what's happening, Steve, with the estimates and the expectations for these stocks after the big sigh of relief we got last week? Yeah, the, um, that's what's funny. Despite all these warnings of, of the economy just getting so much worse, Sarah, uh, a lot of these companies are saying we're still going to be growing. We're, we're going to, you know, even beat our own expectations. Uh, Apple, for example, beat its even its worst expectations uh, due to those COVID shutdowns in China. Uh, they, they had warned they were going to have a, at least $4 billion hit. It came in under that. So they're actually, because they're so big, they're actually able to perform uh, better than anticipated. So they, they're just going to be okay at the end of all this. <laughs> Steve Kovacs, Steve, thank you. Thanks. Wanted to hit Target as well because shares are moving higher. The stock got an upgrade from an analyst at Wells Fargo, taking the stock to overweight with a price target of 195 from a previous target of 155. Analysts there writing that management is taking decisive action to protect its pandemic share gains. And it is well positioned for a faster recovery than its peers. Wells Fargo also writing that investors are too bearish on Target's prospects for next year, that this year's margin misses were one time related. Target shares are down about 28 percent, Mike, so far this year. A few bad news surprises took took that stock pretty, pretty lower. And also we got the news from Walmart as well. So are these one time issues with inventories or not? Well, they're one time in the sense that they're about a moment in time or this phase that we uh, have been in where everyone got whipsawed uh, by worry about shortages, too much ordering, this huge drop off in, uh, in goods demand, all the stuff we know about. One thing, you know, as part of this upgrade really is the idea that Target in itself didn't necessarily make any unique missteps along the way, even though when they first warned, it did seem as if they were an outlier and they really had, uh, had botched the ordering system and basically the mis, mis, uh, misengaged demand. So, I, I, you know, I think you could make the case the stock is very reasonably valued here. It really, really ran up to a big premium when everyone thought they had it perfectly figured out. They had the right mix uh, for a, a huge consumer boom. So it's, it's rationalized to some degree. It's unclear if consumer discretionary, real core consumer discretionary, like big box retailers, are going to be the leadership of this market. Uh, but at this valuation, a lot of the risk has been taken out of it. A lot of the retailers are working today. Bath & Body Works up 5%. Actually, all of consumer discretionary is higher except for Win Resorts. Actually, Win just popped into the green as well. So now every group, every stock in that group is higher. Boeing is also a big winner. It's today's top Dow performer. Performer shares getting a boost on news that Boeing can resume deliveries of its 787 plane in the next few weeks. The company's inspection protocol of the aircraft has been approved by regulators. This comes 14 months after the company was forced to halt those deliveries. Boeing has roughly 120 built that have not been delivered. Joining us for more, Jeffrey's defense analyst, Sheila Kayalu. Sheila, how, how big of a surprise is this for investors? 
Um, it's a positive, clearly, uh, it, but we had it in our numbers. We had 1277 deliveries for this year, 84 for next year. But I would say it was about 25% of the risk removed from the stock, the other being the max. Right. And so Phil, Phil LeBeau earlier reported that it's it's really good timing because what what the carriers want right now are these larger body jets because they're investing in international. And that's sort of the missing piece of the recovery that, that we expect to pick up. So how, how 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 much of a tailwind do you think it is from that perspective? So what's happening right now in the domestic market is we're basically 100 percent of domestic is back at 2019 levels. But international is still uh, really far behind. So to give you guys a sense, wide body aircraft, which is what a 787 would you know, take uh, folks internationally uh, with Airbus's A350 is going to produce at 17 per month in 2022. That number in 2019 was 28 per month. So we're still well below peak and there's a full cycle on the wide bodies to go. And we project about 80 to 100 787 deliveries per year between 2023 to 2025. And that assumes about only 5% comes from China. So American Airlines, United, Lufthansa are all really uh, asking for the 787. So this is big and it drives the next leg of the recovery, which is international. So, so you agree with that. So the stock is up 6%. It's still down about 16 for the year. What do you do with it? You, uh, you know, I think you buy the news because although the 787 was in analyst numbers, you know, we're waiting for the next leg of the story, which will be the max recovery in China. That's 40 percent of the backlog that is yet to deliver. Uh, but, you know, that that has other geopolitical ramifications that we're waiting for. Then we work off of, uh, you know, the recovery in commercial airspace profitability, which is currently loss making. So everybody's looking to buy aero, but we haven't had good news because Boeing simply can't deliver any planet manufacturers in 2022. And now the 787 with the FAA allowing it allows this to happen. So it's just well, like, one. Yeah. I guess the question is, is it, is, it too, is it getting too late? Are we getting near the end of the cycle? We're worried about recession now and, and demand for discretionary things like travel after a huge jolt that we have seen, Sheila. Well, I think that's the best part of aerospace. We haven't seen a recovery. You know, COVID's still very much impacting it. Whether you look at wide bodies, which I mentioned are 50 percent depressed, or narrow body production, if we're lucky, Boeing and Airbus combined will produce 90 narrow bodies this year. Regardless of what happens to air traffic with a recession in 2025, we predict that to go up to 125 units per month of production. So a 7% caker. So regardless of recession, aerospace is pretty recession proof at the moment. So investors were looking for a bit of good news to buy Boeing and they got it here with the FAA announcement. Got it. Sheila, thank you. Boeing, top performer, not just on the Dow, but the S&P 500 as well. Sheila Kayalu of Jefferies. Royal Caribbean, the worst performer in the S&P right now, after announcing an offering of senior convertible notes worth up to $900 million. The cruise line operator planning to use those proceeds to restructure its existing debt. Seema Modi joins us. Seema, Carnival stock was hit recently after its stock offering. Why, why is Royal Caribbean getting crushed on this bond deal? Still financing struggles for this group. Sarah, I think investors are being reminded that how much debt these cruise lines had had to take on during the pandemic, and now that needs to be refinanced at 
a higher interest rate. Uh, it's important to highlight, though, that each cruise line is taking sort of a different approach to addressing their debt and that this convertible bond offering is not dilutive in the way Carnival stock sale is. In fact, CEO of Royal Caribbean joined us last week, Jason Liberty. He said that taking raising equity, a very high bar for us, and we don't have any plans to do so. Uh, but clearly, with about $4 billion in debt maturing next year, Royal's convertible bond offering was sort of the best option. It's replacing the existing 2023 convertibles with a new one that will price tonight. There are no new shares, but clearly, again, a news that is still pressuring the stock, this idea that as interest rates rise, these companies that took on a lot of debt uh, have to refinance and at a higher rate, Sarah. Got it, Seema Modi. Seema, thank you. We've got just about two minutes to go here in the trading day. Mike, looks like we've lost the, the gains on the stock market, despite the fact that we have lower yields, lower prices of oil, and a weaker dollar, which all have, have typically done well for the stock market lately. What do you see? They have, I would say, within a still a very narrow range, especially by recent standards in terms of the high to low move. It's been very mixed under the surface. Take a look at the New York Stock Exchange breath. It's mostly skewed slightly negative, but uh, been sort of, here you go, close to 50-50 at this point. The NASDAQ just a little bit weaker. You mentioned the dollar, the U.S. dollar index has, uh, you know, kind of stayed in this pullback. In fact, it's actually at an interesting point right now. If you look at the sort of uptrend since February, it's sitting right on that line. So if it breaks down from here, you're going to have some people say maybe there's something more decisive about this uh, pullback that is reflective of loosening financial conditions, although also could be uh, concerns about growth. As you mentioned, the volatility index has ticked higher, nothing too dramatic, but we're at the low end of the recent range for the VIX, just as we're at the high end of the range for the S&P 500. All makes sense. A lot of the move today is just Monday rebuilding some of that premium. People may be also locking in some of this uh, rally's gains, uh, Sarah. Yeah, down 31 points on the Dow. We got as low as down 200 at one point today as we head into the close. Take a look at the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It is Boeing that is the biggest contributor on the upside for the Dow and United Healthcare, the biggest drag, along with Chevron, Caterpillar, Microsoft, and Travelers. Within the S&P 500, we are off just about a quarter of 1%. Of course, after the 9% monstrous rally we saw during the month of July, which brings us about 14.5% off the highs for the S&P 500 and about 13% off the lows. You've got staples on top, energy on bottom, 5% decline in crude oil prices. That is certainly weighing on energy stocks. The Nasdaq losing some of its earlier gains, closing down about two-tenths of 1%. That's it for me on Closing Bell. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.